0: Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the central role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. Welcome to today's episode of design your life. Today I catch up with the brilliant Jeff Proven, founder of the Melbourne based design led property development company, Neo Metro. And tune in as we chat about his 35 years in business, the healthy building framework that he and his team at Neo Metro have developed, which drives every stage of their projects and why he believes the homes he creates should wear in, instead of wear out. Hey Jeff, welcome to Design Your Life, how are you? I'm very very well, thanks,
1: and uh, it's great to be here today. Uh, Been talking with you, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I'm in Sydney and you're in Melbourne. Um, It's winter, winter for us is not that cold really, but we're both freezing, right?
1: Well, I'm, I'm actually coming to Sydney on Friday, Saturday, so hopefully you'll turn some weather on for me.
0: Yeah, slightly warmer, a couple of degrees yeah. warmer. Yeah. Uh, it's such an honour to have a, have, a, have you on the podcast, Jeff, and, uh, and you've played such a massive role in innovating the Australian property development industry over the past 35-plus years. Um, it's pretty incredible. The, your commitment to design and humanism as being embedded in the business since you founded it in 1985 with Barry Ludlow, um, can we talk about that, how you how you started off?
1: Oh look, with, um, Barry and I kind of met um, socially and then he was sort of doing small projects, I was doing a few small things, I was sort of involved in construction and we met up and we sort of had a common interest in design and uh, I did a little bit of design work with him on, on a couple of smaller of his projects and they were really renovations of some inner city Victorian terrace houses which he was sort of altering and then also adding a new dimension to them and he had quite a good eye um, and I sort of started working with him and then we did that for about 12 months and then one day we said look I think we should do a project together so um, it was pretty uh, you know pretty naive naive and we turned up to an auction and bought an old warehouse in in sort of the the um, rough end of gertrude street in those days um and uh in in a place called little smith street we bought this warehouse and we set about turning it into two two warehouse residences, and that was sort of really the start of a working relationship where we we designed it and then physically built it and marketed it and 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 uh and then we went on from there so that was sort of a you know, sometimes you just got to bite the bullet and we, we, we kicked off in that way in a, in a partnership which was sort of financial and also um, equity in, in design and control.
0: And it's amazing, and I think that in terms of, um, at that time, I guess it was, what, mid-80s, uh, early 90s, is that warehouse living was, was becoming quite a, a popular thing. People often refer to them as New York lofts. I remember seeing, you know, apartments in or warehouses in London even being called New York lofts, etc. Um, did you find that? That was a bit of a kind of a trend at the time? Oh, look, totally. It was it
1: was sort of fairly new in Melbourne in terms of development-wise. There was a number of people living in warehouses and they were sort of, you know, usually artists or, um, you know, from a particular uh, ilk of sort of interesting people who, who were kind of prepared to endure some uh, hardships to live in a warehouse and you know we all know about heating warehouses and cooling them and the facilities and the spaces so for us um, it, it was very much that intrigue and the whole idea at that time was yes there was lots of talk about the the new york loft and and part of what we wanted to do was really make this warehouse sort of bring a little more design intent to it and bring a little more um uh, and I'll say, luxury of space and finishes to what was a, a normal warehouse conversion. So, and we ha- we sparked a lot of interest just from people coming to see it and look at it when it was for sale. And we won uh, we won a design award with it. And here and behold, we um we were after that we we won a trip and we headed off to New York to see what was actually happening in New York. And that was sort of the you know, really bonded our relationship and we, we moved forward on on what we sort of looked at on that tour and also what we learned from Melbourne. And um, at the time, warehouses were were a little bit scarce and, and also the planning requirements were, were a little bit tougher because you um, inner city Melbourne, they were either in a commercial zone, which means you couldn't live in it unless it was a caretaker's residence, and that there was all sorts of problems to overcome there. And, and from that project, we really we needed somewhere to go and do another project. We couldn't find a warehouse, um, and you know, we we're a little bit impatient, so we went and bought some land in Richmond and we thought why don't we build some warehouses, um, warehouse kind of spaces. And, and that's exactly what we did. We built three warehouse spaces as, you know, will be called townhouses today and sort of kept the same design ideas um, and amenity about what we'd done in the last project to bring it to a sort of suburban area. And then, you know, then it sort of, things got interesting from there on.
0: What what is it about? Um, I mean, I, we we have a, our studio has always been a warehouse, and we live in a warehouse as well. But what is it for you that kind of that warehouse environment kind of gives someone the energy that it gives? Because it's very much a different way of living, isn't it? It, um, it certainly I mean, is, and it's, it's probably less the, conservative.
1: Yeah, and and it's it's a it's very much that it's very much that it's it's not it's not it's um you know they're they're big spaces so big volumes high ceilings. Um, you know an industrial aesthetic, so roost trusses, steel, raw finishes and you know people kind of uh, aspire to that and still aspire to that today you know the the romance of living in a warehouse is still very much a strong concept in in Melbourne and you know globally I think it's just um, uh, they're becoming rarer um, because uh, they become development sites and the net worth of them becomes more and what people can do with them. So we see a lot of them being demolished and Fitzroy uh, and Collingwood is very much what was, you know, was probably the starting point for this particular trend or idea about converting warehouses and, uh, and, and, you know, there's still some happening today and there's still a lot of really good buildings around that, that will, you know, that will convert really well. I remember moving,
0: with family moved to Melbourne in uh, 2003, late 2003, and I remember just being blown away by Melbourne. I mean, I guess you are too, you live there. Um, but it's such a beautiful city, a uh, big, uh, I guess, um, sprawling city in a way, it's, um, but, it, but incredibly creative. And I remember walking through St. Kilda and seeing your development Lux, um, uh, and that was, in 2003, is quite a while ago now, 20 years ago now. Yeah. Um, and to see that still incredibly relevant today, to seeing, as I think you mentioned before, how people have enjoyed it, still the original owners are still living there. Like, talk a bit about that, too, because it's, it's kind of, it's interesting how something that felt so modern and contemporary 20 years ago doesn't feel out of date. It still feels very much an important part of the, the Melbourne landscape.
1: Yeah, look, it was a really interesting project. Um, it was a you know a kind of a 60s warehouse, sawtooth warehouse, in the kind of wrong end of town. It was next to the next to the St Kilda St Kilda tip site, or a refuse station. It was um, very much the, the on the beat for, for St Kilda, um, you know the St Kilda nightlife. Um, so it was sort of a uh, you know really not a, an attractive option. Um, you know, in terms of what people, what, what we saw people wanting to live. So we, uh, and um, this chap had a furniture business in the ground floor selling sort of secondhand, sort of retro furniture and I was interested in this uh, Caborsier chair that he had and, and um, I went there about four or five times to look at this chair. It was beautiful and I, I really wanted it and we had to make decision, do I put a new kitchen at home? Or do I buy no, this? No. Do I buy this chair? And in the end, we um, uh, we end up buying half the building and did a joint venture <laughs> with, the, with the original owner, and and we staged it with uh, you know converting uh, and and the idea of it was a new zoning which came into St Kilda at the time. This particular pack, so it's a commercial area beside the tip. The tip was later sold off and uh, became a development site. It was uh, a, a C-grade commercial area because of the traffic, and 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 you know part of it, there was a Telstra exchange, um, a, a lot of sort of buildings that were sort of a little bit misfunctional in that area, and yeah. we um, we we saw the beauty of this building and, and thought how could we sort of convert this in and how 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 could we deal with this project and because it was zone mixed use. That was the key to our design and we really embraced the idea of mixed use, which meant, you know, it can be commercial, it can be offices, it can be residential. And the idea was that the building we remained commercial, I retail slash hospitality at ground floor, first floor level became office and this transition from what was this fairly gnarly landscape um, and activity in the street. So and then as we went up through the building. It became more residential with, on the top floor, became sort of two-storey kind of loft type apartments. But the whole idea of this building was that um, the, and with the zoning meant that the spaces could uh, could be uh, multifunctional, so they could be an office, they could be a studio, they could be a residence. And that still very much happens today, and we had our office in there from basically 95 to around 2000. So, we were there, so some 20 years. You know, it won the Institute of Architects Sir Osborne McCutcheon Award for you know best commercial mm. project at the time. And um, a friend of mine was a photographer, and he had his studio opposite, and um, they watched it grow. And he he always sort of described to me it looked like a um, a big container ship Uh, because they could see the bay view behind it and it looked like a big container ship arriving in Melbourne because we had stainless steel (laughs) corrugated (laughs) iron on it, and had this sort of, uh, um, you know, this term um, which was very much the idea of uh, deconstructed building. So we kind of maintained that aesthetic through the building. So there was elements, a very strong industrial aesthetic on the outside with steel and columns and the materiality. And so uh, it had a really interesting appeal and we offered it on the market for sale selling basically spaces. So people could do their own fit out and we did some of them so over the period of its time and it's i we still have some properties in there that fluctuate from residential to rent from residential to um commercial and and pretty much the integrity of the building and use of the building has been maintained until today
0: yeah and and looks like clearly loved still today yeah um, still you said uh, you, you spoke. You sp- have you. You've caught up with a few of the original tenants, and they talked about how they felt, how they feel about the building?
1: Oh, look, I still, um, you know, there was a bit of a breeding ground for a number of architects and in, and industrial designers and graphic designers at the time, mostly sort of people in that sort of creative distance, and I could rattle off a dozen names of who of of uh, businesses that start as a fledgling industry. There, one or two people, and then we had these spaces and they outgrew them and moved on and so it was sort of became this little breeding ground there was a bar downstairs and we had a meeting room so it was sort of a little bit of a um a hybrid of and and uh a hybrid of mixed use and the vibe of the place was that these one and two man practitioners could actually uh could could meet and talk with other people in the building and and it was sort of quite a Quite an exploratory idea of how people could could um, you know grow their businesses, and from that you know the, every couple of years they they would move on because they'd outgrow the premise, and a new breed of younger people would move in. So and that still sort of happens today, although there's a number of people there. There's probably about half the residents are still original occupants in the building. Mm.
0: And and I thought it was really cool too because you were already at that time combining living and working spaces. Uh, in that building. And that that's something that um, way before COVID and current trends, uh, maybe it's always been a trend. I don't know, is that something that you think that was relatively new at the time? It was
1: relatively new at the time. And um, although, you know, after, you know, looking at New York and what was happening around the world, um, you know, this had been happening in European cities and certainly places like New York, maybe even other parts of the States. Um, the idea of this work-live arrangement and and that was very much our kind of sales pitch on it to really attract people that, you know, you can kind of invest in this project, you can work in it, you can live in it, you can keep it, you can change, the use is quite flexible. The designs that we did for, for for these spaces were very much about that so they weren't sort of designated bedrooms as such, they were spaces that could be... Cut off by screens or curtains, and then within a week you could turn it into a studio, working studio or an office, and and so that was sort of the the trend that we kind of maintained at the time, and and still today, and and you know we we sort of um, have done a couple of other smaller projects on, along that basis, but. It's re-emerged itself now in Melbourne, and we're doing a number of projects in Brunswick, where, um, and, and these are still mixed-use zones. But the the local planning authorities are wanting, you know, commercial on ground floor. They're designating commercial on first floor, and then re- residents above, and that's the idea to really keep an employment and keep industry within a within a small area, and the the struggle with that is actually when it's just designated as commercial it's sometimes very not not really what everyone really wants or can afford so we actually work with uh city of Moreland on this to create these again these work lived spaces so they had a slightly different aesthetic higher ceilings they were quite good and uh, quite good at at, uh, an offering in terms of how people could work and live in these spaces and we convinced the council that we need to back this and say well it might not be commercial today but in 12 months it could be commercial or it could be residential so and we need to keep the activity and we need to keep if we want to keep industry in the area these young people who can't afford to buy but can rent a space they can live there and so it was quite successful and and because the spaces had this, you know, we talked about the the notion of living in and working in a warehouse, which we all kind of have that romance about that. And these particular spaces became very attractive to people because of the volume of the spaces. They weren't traditional apartments, and so we found that they were, um, you know, in a in a in an off the plan sale situation. These were all the first to go from. Uh, You know, from like-minded people, you know, architects, graphic designers, artists, um, you know, people running a small business, IT business, were really keen to acquire these with the view of a long-term whole. So it was that they could work there for a while. If their business grew, they could rent it out and keep it. They could keep it for later on when they move back in. So it's quite a a really kind of rich um, use of how the building can work.
0: And it kind of feels for me like it's very much about, um, I guess, playful living, but you call it um, a framework, a uh, healthy building framework, which I, I really love and um, centered around health and well-being and the six pillars of air, light, comfort, connection, mind and body. Can you, can you unpack that?
1: Well, I think what, you know, and that's really been part of our, you know, Neo Metro's philosophy from day one is that we're really, um, and it's not necessarily about the idea of the luxury of finishes. It's about, you know, one is this space that's designed that has a, you know, has a really good outlook, has really good fresh air, has really good light quality. Um, has really good sound quality. Kind of fits in well with the building, and and you know we kind of design these spaces as if we were, were going to live in them ourselves. And what would our, what would our, what would we design for our families or our friends? And and that's sort of the mainstay of how we how we do these apartments. So every apartment gets a little bit of a um, a test of how it might perform. You know, in a in a in a wholesome sense of how. Um, how we can achieve the well being of the end residents, and that's not about, um, you know, whether the gold taps or stainless steel taps, it's about, uh, but in saying that, that comes into it because we like these idea that these apartments wear in and not wear out, so you yes. know, and 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 the longevity of the apartment is paramount for us, and and that's in an internal sense and, a, and an exterior sense, and and if you can. The big thing that we're really working on now, and we' and it's sort of become more more evident is this sort of idea of placemaking and how we create uh, a community within a building. And because at the end of the day, when we hand this building over, the the residents are the people that essentially maintain and look after this building. It's in their control. They have a manager who, who will do that, but it's really up to them. So you've got to create these buildings that people really, really love. And um, and that's the longevity of how these buildings sit and rest. And and you know, part of our regime is to make sure that the materiality of the building is going to live up to its expectation and and you know require less maintenance and and you create these spaces that people love so it's it's really about the love of the building and how we um how how it's preserved for for the future that doesn't mean things can't change within it and the the kind of um you know what we've found in our recent projects is really the idea of activating other spaces um, at ground floor for studio spaces for the residents or rooftop access, and that might be, you know, um, an area where people can can meet, an area where people can grow food, grow vegetables and and food, pe- where people can entertain, people can meditate. You know, we're putting um, you know clotheslines in these areas so people can dry their dry their clothes in and and all this adds up to they're all small percentages that add up to what makes a building um you know what creates the well-being in a building and you know we talk about the idea that you can actually you know dry your sheets in fresh air not necessarily in a tumble dryer so that's a important thing for some people so all these little small things are very important although they seem minor and and Part of um, activation of these spaces is what what really counts, and it's uh, it's the idea of the garden is really essential because what it does it brings people within the building. People are interested; they meet their neighbour, and all of a sudden you have this culture within the building that you know there's a um, you know it's a website set up for the building, and people are talking about oh can you look after my cat and going away can you water my plants now. Uh, you know, in a building that doesn't have these community spaces, um, tend not to have that same community because you can live in a building of forty people and see your neighbor in the car park as he drives in and out, whereas if you've got the this time for these areas offer time for people to actually get into conversation and then they talk about things. So,
0: I really love Jeff what you said about longevity of the apartment. I mean I've never heard that before, yeah. so I always you know I've just moved into an apartment recently and I just see it's already falling apart um, but you know the idea of wearing it wearing in and not wearing out that's just beautiful that it actually gets better in time. How come you don't hear this more often um, with with developers or apartment living
1: look it's um yeah it's just something that you know. We've always been interested in the idea of the, the longevity of a building and, um, you know, so you, you you have to work out, you know, what works inside an apartment and where where things should last a long time. And, you know, your floor should last a long time, um, you know, should last 25, 30 years. The, the idea of the kitchen, you know, if it's got a 20-year lifespan because... People, you know, get sick of white laminate or change. You know, bathrooms can change, light fittings can change, but it's the essential integrity of the building and, and how it's built and how it fits together. So that um, those materials, you want them to... Um, yes, they might need to be repainted or freshened up or whatever, but you're not pulling things out because they're just falling apart. And we put a lot of time into looking at when we do an apartment, there's an even brush stroke across the whole apartment. So we haven't got these glamorous, amazing light fittings and we've got a you know a, a cheap kitchen put in that's, you know, that the hinges are cheap and they're gonna be, you yeah. know, in two years time they're gonna be falling off. So again, you know, there's a fair amount of detail that goes into uh, and that comes with experience and you know we've made a number of mistakes and we're still learning about what has to stand the test of time. So, uh, for us, you know, and, and I keep telling our crew that you know, yeah, the, we can have the best looking apartment, but if the, but if the, if the, um, if the cupboard door falls off. It, it gets seen as a pretty shit design, you know. So people, yeah. people, yeah, yeah. people forget quite quickly. So you have to really, and you have to really understand the functionality and where the wear and tear is. And I, I learned this ages ago when we did the Lux building, which we talked about before, where we specified the door furniture um, right throughout the project. And and when you think about it, and I'll just draw an instance of that. You know, your the the car park door gets opened fifty times a day. Whereas your front door gets opened four times a day. You come in, you go out, you might go out again. So the car park, and we specified the same door furniture. Now, in two years time, the car park door furniture was falling off. Whereas the on the apartment, it's probably gonna last for 20 or 30 years. But so you have to understand where the wear and tear happens in these buildings and how to manage that. And, and that's sort of important for us because you know people value it on that basis
0: well it's it's kind of a super i don't know if you saw uh there's a four corners uh show on recently about developers shoddy developers and and the clampdown on them kind of creating and building uh you know dream homes that actually are not the dream that you uh thought they might be and therefore dev- defects galore and some of them uninhabitable uh in some extreme cases i mean there's obviously people out there who are not doing what you're doing, who are doing it um, cutting corners and, and um, putting as probably as least in as possible uh, in terms of kind of quality fittings and finishings, et cetera. Um, that, that's, that's obviously is escalating with the fact that there's a housing shortage generally and there's a need now to build a million homes, I think, or a million and a half homes in the next you know, few years um, there's a lot to be done and a lot to be learned from and I guess that I, I guess it's not a privileged thing to be living in a home that somebody has put care and attention into the detailing and understanding uh, the idea that a home should get better and not just be a transaction. Um, can you kind of talk more about that because I think in a way, also, you, you guys became B Corp certified as, a, as the first uh, developer in Australia back in 2014, which is not that long ago, but certainly an important move. And kind of wanted to understand why uh, why you did that and the importance that it is uh, being B Corp certified for you.
1: Uh, well, talk about the first bit about, you know, um, yes, there'll, there'll probably always be some pretty shonky developers around and the, the problem in this industry is that you know, an owner can own a block of land and he wants to become a developer, so he engages an architect, he gets a planning permit, he gets a builder involved. They value manage it within an inch of its life and they don't know what they don't know. So, mm-hmm. and, and so um, you know, the experienced developers, and there's a number of really good developers in Melbourne who have learnt over a period of time that you know, our brand is built on this, this is our passion this is what we do so we're we're interested in the longevity of these buildings because this is our business we make money from doing developments and we want to we're here for a long haul we're not here for one project or two projects so that will you know I'm hoping that will change um and you know that's pretty hard to legislate against poor quality but the the end of the day the developers are are really yeah you're you're right they're in it for a transaction and they don't understand what they're actually doing and it's about dollars um whereas you know we we care about that because we also care about you know we want feedback from people we want to understand where we've gone what we need to improve on and we're always doing research and talking to buyers. About what? What else can we do to improve it? What? Where the problems are? And because every building, every building and development is essentially a prototype, where you know it's got a different layout, it's got a different configuration, it's different materiality, different ground conditions, and all of that. So that's very important um, for the B Corp um, situation. And we were sort of uh, really interested in this because what? Um, and we really did it as a a measuring guide for ourselves and it's really more an internal thing it's not something um, that is uh, um, you know we go out beating our chests that we're B Corp um, although it's a great organisation to be part of but what it does it really helps you um, well look at the look at your whole business from your product through to your staff through to your ethos through to how you go about doing business how you deal with people and there's a number of very critical checklists that you can kind of measure against your building and you have to meet certain standards. So I think when we started to do the B Corp uh, membership, we kind of realised that we were doing a a number of these things. Um, You know, we're just doing these things and that's what we went about our business and did because that was our ethos, that was our DNA, that's what we wanted to be. But this gave us formalised our our rationale about how we see the world in terms of how we deal with our staff, how we deal with the environment, how we deal with sustainability, how we deal with, with, you know, uh, our projects, and and you know the good thing about B Corp is not just about the bottom line for the shareholders; it's about what you can do, what you can do, and what you can put back into, you know, put back into the society and and help. So, for us, it was really an internal checklist. Um, that keeps us online and you know as your business grows you want people people to understand that whereas before it was there but it wasn't really documented so now we know and every few years we do a checklist and we have to lift our game on that or something's something's changed within the world of sustainability or um you know how how people are working and how staff are treated and all of that so it's a real really good measuring stick for people to to gauge their business and create, um, create a, you know, help create your business plan as to how you see, the, how you see where you wanna be in the next five to 10 years.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that is brilliant, Jeff. Well done on, on doing that. And I mean, it feels so aligned with you anyways and your organization. You work with some of Australia's leading architects and, and obviously international practice as well, including uh, Mork um you work with uh, kirsten thompson and addition office um, etc so it'd be really good to also kind of talk about your decisions around who is the right architect to work with um what's your decision factor around that
1: oh look the number of things that come into play with that and you know one is depending on the size of the project to its location um and 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 the product that we want to create for that and we do a fair bit of research into into that, and uh, and and the idea is that we, we will create a short list of architects, and and these architects that we are choosing are one are uh, people that we really um, we understand. We think where they've got similar ideals and ethos to us. They have a kind of background. They have they're experienced in this type of projects, and also. Um, uh, you know, we, we very much see the work as a collaboration. So, you know, we're working with the Office and, you know, we've tried to work, we've had a short list on a number of projects and they didn't quite get there because of X, Y, Z and we finally found a project that we thought really suited their ideals, their design philosophy. Um, and that's a current project, which is in a planning at the moment in Fitzroy. Um, mm-hmm. Kirsten Thompson, you know, who's now, you know, got herself a, a gold medal and, you know, one of Australia's foremost, you know, architects um, and architectural practices and we've been following Kirsten for a number of years and her interest in multi-res has sort of been in more recent times and we've watched her and we wanted to work with her on a project in St Kilda where we thought her her um, her expertise would be really beneficial to add value to these projects. And I and and then along with Mork who um, you know who are an international based practice in Rome and Perth and they have you know we had a project in South Yarra and it was sort of probably a uh, more a sort of a high end project and when I mean that and bigger apartments and you know you know uh, you know a prime area in South Yarra and we felt that their product would be really quite different and quite challenging and also a different offering than what was normally happening. We work with them and then we've been working um, on a couple of other smaller projects with Arias uh, Matisse out of uh, Lisbon and uh, in a collaboration with um, MA Architects who who were originally part of Neo Metro and have evolved on their own and we've a number of projects and then also with Kosloff architecture so there's um you know it's 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 finding the right person for the right product and the right time and so there's a lot of research goes into that and sometimes we'll we will um, we'll have a couple of architects that we can't really decide on there who which one to use and we'll do a, a we will pay a fee to, for them to give us some ideas and, and thoughts about how they might handle this project and that helps us decide as to whether we go to the next level with them. And we find that really interesting way of understanding, and understanding how someone works um, before you commit to the full marriage.
0: Do you live in one of your
1: buildings? Um, I live in a house that's done, you know, which was done in a collaboration with MA and Claire Cousins and and Neo Metro. Um, um, So I sort of, uh, and my house, was done with uh, R.S. Matisse and and MA from from Melbourne. So um, I I do kind of breathe a lot of uh, Neo Metro air, so to speak. Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
0: And you must have learned a lot over the years that you've put into that, into your own personal home. I guess every development since the first one is a learning.
1: Yeah, look, I, I'm, you know, I I mean, I'm still learning myself. I'm heading up to Sydney um, for the for the um, architecture symposium on Friday because, you know, it's talking about housing. And I'm interested in what, what other architects are seeing... Housing, the future of housing, and I, you know, it is a it is a changing place. Although at the end of the day, we still need a place to sleep, we need a place to eat, we need a place yeah. to shit, we need a place to bath. So, the fundamentals yeah. are still there, but it's really how these are fitting into our, you know, our ever growing cities, and how we, how the 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 change in the scene is now that, you know, apartment living and inner city living is now, uh, you know. Uh, a a kind of a a basically a given for us to house the populations but also how do we do it better and how do we how do we make these places you know beautiful really well you know good for their well-being um, and great places to live and great communities. so I'm really interested in what's what else is happening out there and you know I'm I'm coming to Sydney to uh, learn Mm -hmm.
0: Cool, and, and, and I guess a question I was gonna ask you was, um, how do you think Australian society has adapted to uh, living in apartments? Because it's relatively new in Australia. It's such a big country um, that there's, there is, there was. <laughs> still physically there's a lot of space. Yeah. But the cost of living has increased incredibly. So therefore people need to, the getting into property or into an apartment, etc. An apartment I guess is more affordable potentially than buying a home a house today well Um, but equally you know people are downsizing to move into apartments that kind of weren't such uh, weren't so prevalent as they are today
1: I, i think um you know there's a um you know we're a lot more adaptable to living in apartments now and um and and we're seeing uh that change and and the idea of People, um, you know, the co- as I said, the cost of maintaining a house now and heating and cooling a house is really, you know, a, a contributing factor in as to how people live. You know, that the people want to move in from sort of suburbs that really don't have much uh, in the way of culture, culture. You know, they might have schools and things, but people are wanting to be closer to a, a more cultural background. They want it to be in, in an area that they can really can get away without a car or you know two car families becoming one car families and public transport so there's Mm. you know a whole lot of driving forces along that lines and you know we had a um uh and you know the the market is really quite fickle as to how people um live and and also we're seeing for what was 20 years ago you know what is the family home now is it one single person and a child is it To blended families, is it is it you know what what does that look like now? It's very different to what it was some time ago. And you know we had a recent uh, project, uh, one of our projects we finished a couple of years ago in Brunswick, where we had um, a couple probably my age who um, you know had children, had grandchildren. They'd separated. um, They'd sold the family house. They both bought in the same building, one at each end. Um, bought a small apartment each and they lived there and so when their children could come with their grandchildren they could go and visit both grandparents at the same time now uh, now you know when you, how good is that you know to to yeah. kind of create that idea about what a, what is a what does a family apartment look like or how does it work and and so yeah. that's what we're seeing you know a change in trend about, how people um, how people are, are wanting to be in an apartment and uh, and so you know that really tickled me that one because I thought that what a what a you know brave and great idea and so practical.
0: That's really cool. I've got a, a couple of friends actually who have that similar scenario in Sydney, uh, which works really well for them. You've got a new publication coming out next year, which sounds really, really exciting. Unfortunately, we didn't design it, but I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Anyways, yeah, look
1: at some. We were chatting about the other day, and it's probably easier to do an apartment building over five years and do a book. Uh, (laughs) And you know, it it was suggested to us about five years ago to do a book, and we were doing a a series in Melbourne, um, and we called it High Density Happiness, and we did a number of talks at the M Pavilion. you know, which is sort of pavilions set up for six months and running a number of series of talks about this idea of, you know, living in apartment living and all the different aspects of it and on sustainability, well-being, design. Um, and from that, we um, we were really interested in uh, the stories of people and how they live in apartments and not unlike that couple we just talked about. So... We, we um, engaged a photographer Derek Swal, to go around and, and photograph a number of these people how they live in apartments and, and you know, they weren't stylized um, you know looking like a, a furniture showroom. There were people real people yeah. living in them with their collections of you know whether it be art, whether it be bottles, whether it be books or fashion or or whatever because we you know we you know a lot of us like to have have our little collections and how did they adapt to living in an apartment and it was quite fascinating so we put together a a collection of about you know you know 12 or 12 or 15 stories about these people and then we thought you know this is actually uh, a really nice idea of people want to people want to read about other people about how they live and i'm you know, um, I, I'm sort of, you know, I, I love architectural books and design books, but I don't really read them because I'm not that interested in, you know, uh, you know, to, to learn about the materiality of the building and how many stories it was and how long it took to build. What I'm interested in is the stories of, of the people and how they relate to the building and how they live their life. And one particular... Um, uh, story that really triggered our heart, and he's on our fa- he's on our sort of opening page on our website as you open it up. And he was a, a retired architect from South Africa. He moved here some 25 years ago. He came to um, to one of our sites that we were selling off the p- plan, and there was this. He didn't have a lot of money, Um, he was a bit of an interesting fish, and there was this little 50 square metre apartment sitting at the front, and he just looked at the floor plan and said to um, our salesperson at the time, he said, you know, that's exactly how I would design it, and that's how I want to live, and bought it on that basis. Um, Wow. And... He has got the most amazing collection of bits and pieces, and um, and and so that's what really inspired our stories. Is you can live in an apartment, you don't have to have, you don't have to go to the, you know, uh, a, you know, a new furniture design furniture showroom and fill it full of stuff. You you can echo, you know, this eclectic collection of things and how people yeah. live with their belongings and and how you can work that, and that's the inspiration for this high density series, and then we've turned that into a book so and it's a little bit of a story about you know us over the 35 years of our our history yeah
0: i love that kind of that real emphasis on real living real people and and utilizing the space that you've created for them to do what they want live how they want i sometimes joke to my kids we come home sometimes go, oh my god we've been burgled you know yeah. like there's every stuff's everywhere. Yeah. Did you do you, you ever walk into some of these homes that you've done and go, holy crap? How do people live like well, this? Or, you know, like it's funny.
1: And and you know I've got some some of our clients that you walk in it looks like a show, it looks like a furniture showroom but kind of has no soul yeah. and yet the people who yeah. and you when you see this book and the photographs you you know and these these are beautiful little apartments and they're little jewels and and the people are you know a big cross section of age groups and understanding why they love their apartment and it's about what they bring to it as well and and yeah. and that's what. That's kind of what interests us about and, and that's part of their well-being of an apartment they don't you know we, you don't have to throw out what you've what you've had you know you, can, you, you know obviously you're going from you know 20 squares down to 10 squares so some things have to go but you can take with you the things that you love and um, and and the idea of that seeing that evolve over people's apartments is really quite... Uh, you know, I love it and I love hearing their stories about um yeah. how how they you know, why they bought this apartment, why they like it, what what's what's their what do they do, you know, who are they?
0: Yeah, I I guess that uh, architecture and interior design can be quite uh intimidating and daunting for some people who aren't necessarily in that field. And we're in that field so we can relate to understand how things kinda come together. Um I think that Talking to a few interior designers in the past on the podcast, they very much say, "Okay, you know, do do a look at all the things that this family might have, and go right. Let's get rid of all of that. Yeah. <laughs> let's start with. I'm going to show you how to design your home, and this is how you should live. And then it feels like those people then spend the rest of their lives, or while they're living in that home, just keeping that perfectly in place. You know, and and there's no, there seems to be no room for personal expression or." or evolving over time or, or growing a certain you know, growing your own personal taste and that eclecticness i think is um you see in older homes um it's quite beautiful this is how things just come together through time and coming in contact with things and putting them together as opposed to an an instant home you know like this kind of modern way we live today it feels like everything is just instant you got a new home you bought the plan right moving in with everything new i'm going to order all this new stuff you Know and then we're going to start living. It's kind of a, I think that kind of a, it's like what you said before, um, where it, um, not where wearing it in, not wearing it out. That kind of idea of your life is not just like your life is a li- lifelong kind of journey, it's not just a, um, it doesn't begin when you move into a new place, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's, I don't know. I probably. That's a bit of a random thing I just said, I know, but um, I think you know what I mean. But, you know, I always
1: sort of refer to, um, you know, and I I like people bringing things that they've had, you know, that are precious to them and how they can fit into the apartment. And, you know, we may help someone and say, look, I think that's got to go. It's just, you know, you can't bring your oversized six-seater into a a 50-square-metre apartment. It's got to go. But the beauty about it is now we've got a number of... um, you know designers and furniture makers making stuff for apartments but i also we did a styling uh session uh and we often do this before we hand over the building to show people how they can yeah. live in apartment and we had uh jackie from hub furniture who is a master of of uh you know the furniture industry and how to live in an apartment and i always remember this story she said well you know you, you've got to have a broom in an apartment so don't buy a $10 broom from Coles. Go and buy a really nice broom and hang it on your wall, you know, with a hook. And, yeah. and, yeah, and yeah. that's a way of dealing with space because all of a sudden, you know, if you're paying, you know, 12 to dollars you to know, $20,000 a square metre for, for your apartment, all of a sudden your broom cupboard's costing you $6,000. So, <laughs> you, you know, when, when you start looking at the dynamics and how valuable that's, you know, we do do broom cu- cupboards, but it's utilising spaces and thinking outside of the square and you know her part of what she offered was we can make a dining room table now it's got to work as a desk you know kids got to do homework on it night becomes a workspace and then it's going to become a dining area when you know when we've got the family over so how do we how do we make furniture that can tuck away and and so there's lots of really good innovation in in all of um uh, you know, in, in how, to, how to live in an apartment these days. So, um, and, you know, how to use your balcony and how, to, how can you grow things. And, yeah, so it's uh, a fascinating sport. And, and I, I always, um, you know, like the idea. And, you know, we've, we've all had that great pair of shoes that we bought and we wish we had a bought three pair at the time because they've lasted forever because they've just worn in beautifully. And but they get to a point where you just can't repair them anymore. So I like the idea of the apartment wearing in, not wearing out. Yeah.
0: I love that. Um, what stops you from wearing out? Because you've been doing this for <laughs> a while. We're probably a similar vintage. Yeah. But you're equally. You're. You seem to be incredibly passionate and still, um, you know, inspiring people to live live better which is uh incredible position that you've uh, achieved with that what do you do for your own uh, general well-being oh look
1: you know um you know look this um business and the idea of building homes for people is a you know is a really rewarding um industry because you're you know you see how um you know you make people happy and and you know you and so uh, you know you when you do a building with a lot of consideration, As I said it's a prototype, so you put a lot of effort to it. The energy in creating that is really, um, qu- you know, quite amazing, but at the same time, it's a big responsibility. So you, you kind of have to take it seriously. And you know, if you if you write a bad book or do a bad movie, you know, kind of get shredded or get thrown out. If you do a bad building, it's there for 50. You know, it could be there for 50 years. So we have to take yeah. this take this very seriously and how we how we do things so I still love that sport I'm you know not at the not really at the coal face of the business every day now I'm there to offer you know try and offer a little bit of wisdom and as I said I'm still really interested and in, you know I'm kind of um still reading st- you know traveling a lot to look at you know love looking at buildings and you know, how, how do I get, you know, trying to talk my wife into going to Bangladesh to see the Louis Kahn buildings <laughs> um, before, oh, yeah. before, you know, there was talk of them being demolished, but I don't know whether that'll happen, but that's what really, um, that's what lights my fire, yeah.
0: Yeah, cool. And um, do you feel like you've designed your life?
1: Um, not, not really. I mean, I... Um, I, I sort of, uh, you know, the, my most recent project was a little bit of a, um, um, you, know, you know, people call it was my thesis and that was, I've worked on this sort of, you know, call, I call it a beach shack, which is a concrete beach shack, which I've been thinking about for a long time. And, um, and uh, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to find the right person to work with um that I could collaborate with and and so you know there's a lot of my heart and soul into that building um and a lot of my thoughts over many years of you know ideas and how do I how do I um how do I bring them into into realization and then how do I show people this and it's not about showing this place off, it's about showing what you can do. And I, ha- and I set myself some pretty strong boundaries in this place and, and you know, I wanted to test some different things and I wanted to build this building. Ideally that, you know, the shell could last for a 100 years um, and I've sort of, you know, built it for my, you know, my wow. grandkids and their kids. Hopefully that will prolong and they can renovate it and do what they like. But I, I it was really about... Uh, about this idea of this l- really longevity and the architect who, who we work very closely with personally, Manuel Arias Matisse, who, who, who was out here recently and, you know, what I really liked about his philosophy on buildings was he's always sort of pulling back on it and always um, questioning what goes into the building and I've always sort of love that idea, although it's a bit hard when you're working for other people. In this instance, I could really pair this building back and the, you know, people talk about his buildings, they're like ruins of the future and, and I really love that idea, yeah. um, the you know, the, the notion of this sort of longevity and how do then we install what we've learnt into our, into our other buildings. So it's been a little bit of a, a really good project for me just finished it and and i'm kind of ready to do something i thought you know i'm ready to do something else so you know there's sort of quite a that's cool uh, yeah it's it's um yeah there's life after that so yeah
0: well, it's interesting. Does that does that does that building you just built and just completed? Um, it sounds like a really permanent one. You say it's going to last hundred <laughs> years plus. Is is the legacy aspect of that really important for you on, on on developments that you're doing?
1: Oh, the legacy of this particular building is very important to me. You know, one from my fa- my immediate family, and also I want to. Um, you know, a lot of people are inter- interested in the building because of what it is, and and I really interested in sharing that with people because I think there's a lot to there's a lot to learn from that process and this particular building, and it's not, um, you know, it's not that it's, you know, I think it's an amazing concept, an amazing design, and the, what's gone into it, but. It's not a. It's not so much a beautiful building. It's just very intriguing, and, and what, you know, what motivated the notion of the idea of this building, and uh, how how it came about, and the, and and, you know, what I want people to do is to um, take on, the art, not too much take on the ideas of this building, but take on the ideas of how to. Do something like this, you know how to question everything, you know, and mm. why? What is that? Why are we doing that? Why? What's the? Yeah. So that's what really, um, you know, that that's what where my passion is. Yeah.
0: I often say that I love the first day or the first morning when you wake up in a new place, whether it's a hotel, whether it's a tent, <laughs> yeah. whether it's, you know, a new home. Um, how did that feel when you walk up is it in Cape Shank somewhere like no that? it's in it's in, in mount
1: martha it's um you know it's sort of um you know on the bay side of the beach um you know it's a walk walk down the cliff to the beach nice. um it, it has its sort of own little micro climate and it's very much um people laugh when i say it's a i call it a beach shack and um that's that was sort of the essence behind the bill was that it felt like you went down there you know you put on a pair of shorts you put on a t-shirt in summer no shoes and that's how it's not a it's not a a, you know there's things in this house that you wouldn't do in your normal house so um, because you're not living there permanently so the idea of going to this idea of going to a holiday house and how did how do i bring my memories of when i went as a kid when i went on a holiday house yeah. what what kind of was really what what did i feel about that and and you know i have lots of memories of going to beach houses and and friends houses and you know and the idea of sleep as you mentioned before you know i, I wanted to be like a you know it's a concrete tent so to speak um, <laughs> um yeah, so... Sounds fab. Yeah, so if you're down in Melbourne, I'd love to take you down and show you. So, yeah. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. I'd
0: love to see it. Jeff, thank you. Thank you so much for today. It's such a privilege to catch up with you. I uh, really enjoyed this conversation. Um, and uh, look forward to the podcast going live shortly. Thank you, Vincent.
1: No, it's been, um, you know, we've sort of... Um, known each other for a long time and it's you know i really you know i love the fact that you guys are actually um you know talking about these interesting things about what drives a project what drives design and the the kind of interest behind all that rather than just the mechanics of it um or the look of building it's sort of what the essence that goes into uh and and you know the 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 number of people and the collaborative nature of these projects and you know where at the end of the day you know we see ourselves as the orchestra of a building and um, mm. you know we have a really good you know we have a really good deep bass we have a really good trumpet player we have a really good drummer we have a really good violinist and oh, nice. and we have a and we start with a good script but and as I said a different composer or not? Sorry, a, a different um, conductor can come can make the tune sound really shit, or he can make <laughs> or he can make it sound really sweet, you know. And yeah. and that's yeah, our yeah. job is to make it really sweet and really harmonious Lovely. for. Yeah. So that's how we see our our role in all these projects.
0: Well, this has been a very sweet symphony. Thank you. Um, good catching up, Jeff. Take care. Thank, thank, thank you. you.
1: Cheers. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode of Design Your Life with Neo Metro founder, Jeff Proven. Tune in to the next episode where I catch it with Paul Monaghan, co-founder of one of the UK's most decorated architectural practices, Alfred Hall Monaghan Morris, also known as AHMM. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.